0: Hello and welcome to the 18th annual lecture of the Hellenic Observatory. My name is Kevin Featherstone and I'm director of the Observatory here at the London School of Economics. Over the years, we've been fortunate to host many leading figures uh, from Greece. The Patriarch, Prime Ministers, leaders of the opposition, senior ministers, senior academics and many others. Today, we welcome a Greek minister who is in the eye of the storm, as it were. Notis Mitarakis is Greece's minister of migration and asylum. As such, he is at the very center of handling one of Europe's enduring crises, that of how to manage and pro- process the flow of refugees and asylum seekers, as many flee oppression and persecution in countries such as Syria, Afghanistan, Somalia, and many others. At its peak, the UNHCR estimated in 2015 that Greece received some 850,000 refugees. Since then, the number of new entrants has fallen very significantly after the European Union agreed a new deal with Turkey in 2016 to try to stop the flow of irregular migrants. And a new deal at Turkey, a new deal with Turkey, uh, is at the top of the agenda for this week's European Council uh, meeting. Still today, thousands of desperate people languish in overcrowded camps, as national authorities, the European Union, and the United Nations struggle with the numbers. This is a crisis in which Europe is said not to have shared the burden. Instead. Governments have shifted the blame and responsibility to others. How is Greece coping with the crisis? What can Greece expect from Europe? And what kind of Europe do we see in this refugee crisis? As I say, our speaker, Notis Mitarakis, is in the hot seat. Not only is he minister responsible for migration policy, he's also a member of parliament elected by one of the islands most impacted by the refugee crisis, that is, heos in the Aegean. As such, he faces many conflicting pressures. Notice will be well known to many Greeks uh, here in London, uh, as he has spent many years in the UK. Indeed, I'm very pleased to say that the minister in the past has attended many events of the Hellenic Observatory, uh, here at the LSE, so we're, we're very pleased to welcome him back. Notice has had a long career in the private sector and has worked for many international institutions, including the World Bank, the EBRD, and the Black Sea Trade and Development Bank. He's a graduate of Enseign in Paris and of the University of Oxford. To respond to Notice Mitarakis, we're delighted to welcome. Man- Maria Gavonelli. Maria is Associate Professor of International Law at the University of Athens. She is the President of the Greek National Commission for Human Rights, a member of the Managing Board of the National Transparency Authority and a Senior Policy Advisor to ELUMEP. Uh, currently, she's leading a new initiative at the University of Athens, a research hub uh, for migration studies in which uh, the schools of law and medicine and media are teaming up with universities around the world, particularly Sciences Po in Paris. She's published extensively on migration uh, issues. And last year, I understand Maria joined an advisory group to the ministry, advising on issues such as determining which countries are safe For for asylum seekers to return to. We very much look forward to hearing her academic uh, perspective on these complex and difficult uh, issues. Before we begin the discussion let me mention one or two uh, things. Firstly that today's discussion is being recorded and we hope to be able to make uh, it available as a podcast very soon. For those Twitter users in the audience, we suggest the hashtag for today's event is hashtag LSE Greece, and we'd love to read your comments at any stage. And we invite you, the audience, to ask your questions. You can put your questions to uh, Professor Gavronelli and the minister uh, using the Q&A facility at the bottom of your Zoom screen. If you're following the live stream on Facebook, uh, please use the comment facility and the questions will be relayed to me. I will endeavour to pick up as many questions as we can. And we were be delighted to uh, receive your questions at any stage. Please tell us uh, where you're watching from. That's always uh, interesting. And uh, your affiliation, uh, if you have one. So there's a lot of interest in today's discussion. Uh, it is a big issue, not only for Greece, but for Europe. And I can think of no better person to uh, address us, to start off this discussion than the good friend of the Hellenic Observatory, the Minister Notis Mitranakis.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin, for the kind introduction. I'm delighted to be attending the annual lecture of the Hellenic Observatory of the LSE. I'm sorry we can't meet in person uh, due to the pandemic. Hopefully... From next year we will be able to attend in person all the LSE events and as you rightly said i had the privilege when living in london to attend many of the events and the Hellenic observatory has played a key role in strengthening debate on issues that affect greece and in the case today an issue that affects both greece and the european union Uh, migration is and will remain a challenge for europe and the western world millions of people migrate every year, many more would do so if given the opportunity. Migration, as we see it, can be distinguished in legal migration and irregular migration. Legal migration involves people moving to another country for studying, for working, or for investing, or for other reasons prescribed in national legislations. Major universities around the world, like the LSE, play a key role in advancing global mobility and legal migration. And it is legal migration, for example, that led to the economic development of the city of London in the previous decades. Greece supports legal migration, and it is a stated position in the developing negotiation for the new European Pact on Migration and Asylum that Europe needs to work more in providing legal pathways. Needless to say, that the demographic situation in Europe does require measures to increase the population in a sustainable way. While migration does play an important role, we need at the same time to consider the extent, the limits to which Europe can apply successful integration policies when it comes to legal migration. Now, looking at the current situation, it's clear that Structural changes, like the internet, the social media, especially the smartphone, has changed the dynamic of migration. People now have access all over the world. They can visualize life in the West, compare the economic, social, democratic environment versus their home countries, and look to Europe, look to other parts of the Western world as destinations for migration. And using all these means, they can communicate with relatives, they can link also to smuggling networks, they can plan their route, their travel, and this is clearly a structural change. And climate change is also a structural change that will further fuel migration in the years and decades to come, according to many studies. And on top, we anticipate the cyclical impact, the cyclical change of the post-pandemic world as unemployment and lack of social welfare systems in a number of countries countries of origin are expected to increase global imbalances. And it is imperative that we increase the support we give to developing countries aiming to reduce the cause roots of irregular migration and work with them In establishing and managing legal pathways we cannot leave international migration to be managed by smuggling networks who make fortunes from people's misfortunes the basis of the refugee legislation is the 1951 geneva convention and in article 31 it reads that the countries should not impose penalties on account of their illegal entry or presence on refugees who coming directly from a territory where their life or freedom was threatened and and, uh, they're present in the territory without authorization, provided they present themselves without delay to the authorities. What we see in Europe today is most of the irregular arrivals are not direct, as the Geneva Convention says in Article 31. They come through transit countries as migrants or refugees go through many countries before eventually reaching Europe. Together together with the proven inability of member states to return home with safety and dignity, those not entitled to international protection, has led European public opinion becoming more cautious with regard to migration in the recent years. In our case, Greece follows a strict but fair migration policy. We clearly provide asylum to those entitled to, but do not want to be the gateway to Europe for smuggling networks, nor can we allow smugglers to decide who will migrate to Europe. As you know, over the years, our country has faced considerable pressure with regard to migratory flows. Speaking as Kevin said, in 2015, where at least 850,000, some others say a million people, came through Greece to the European Union. And this pressure came in particular at five Greek islands, Lesbos, Chios, Samos, Kots and Leros, who endured most of the pressure, not only for Greece, but for the entire European continent. Obviously, we cannot allow those islands to become overcrowded buffer zones ever again and the success of our policy will be measured against the easing of the pressure on the Aegean Islands and the protection of the rights of migrants and islanders alike and I need to note and I note that many times in my public speaking that we don't talk enough about the impact of migration on local population on the fundamental rights of the citizens of the Aegean Islands. Thanks to our strict but fair migration policy, we've seen results over the last two years. We observe a stabilization of low arrival rates. They're down 80% in 2020. They're further down 70% in 2021. From 72,000 arrivals in 2019, to 15,000 arrivals in 2020, to approximately 3,000 arrivals in 2021. Consequently, we don't have this overcrowding in the camps in the islands. At some point, we hosted over 40,000 people in five islands. Now the number is down to 7,000 people. Most of the camps now in Greece are below their capacity. And overall, we have a 75% capacity utilization. From 95,000 people living in camps in Greece, now we are below 50,000. From 140,000 pending asylum applications, we now are approximately 54,000. And out of 121 accommodation centers we operated last year, only 37 are operating now. And we're constructing six new multipurpose camps in the entry points of Greece, meeting the strict EASO standards to provide the appropriate living conditions and at the same time a safe environment for asylum seekers, staff, and the local communities. We were able to accelerate an asylum service and reduce the backlog. Our objective is to have no backlog by the end of 2021. But clearly, migration is not a national challenge. It is a common European one. And we're now talking in Europe after the September 2020 proposals of the European Commission. The co-legislators, the Council of the European Union and the European Parliament, are debating seven key regulations, which are jointly called the New Pact on Migration and Asylum. And it needs to recognize that no Member State should bear this proportionate responsibility and that all Member States should contribute to solidarity on a mandatory and consistent basis. And as the proposal stands today, it is the view of Greece, but also of all the Mediterranean countries, the Med five were working together very closely with Italy, Spain, Malta, Cyprus to have a common position. It is our view that the proposals today do not adequately address the, our concerns with regard to the first setting of solidarity. This pact includes three pillars. The first a more efficient and faster asylum procedures from entry to return or integration, according to the individual case, a pillar on solidarity and a pillar on the external dimension when we need to establish mutually beneficial relations with countries of origin and transit, as also Mario Draghi mentioned a few hours ago when he was in Germany. And this balance between solidarity and responsibility is not achieved today at the proposals. Greece and other frontline member states cannot be expected to single-handedly undertake the protection of our common borders, the processing of applications for international protection, the reception of asylum applicants, the integration of those recognized and the returns of those finally rejected. It remains a fact. While we talk about a European asylum system, in practice, we still talk about national asylum systems when it comes to recognition or the need for integration of recognized refugees. And this new pact needs to address the challenge. We need to properly revisit a policy proposal That has already been floated around, namely the mutual recognition of recognition of positive asylum decisions, which will facilitate the mobility within the European Union of recognized refugees. As we apply the free movement of recognized beneficiaries within our own countries, there should be no restrictions for the recognized refugees within the European Union. The the concept of secondary movement is out of date. Europe is a common family, it's a common space, and we're common now regulations to talk about asylums. Very critical also is to have effective returns of those not qualifying for asylum, and this would be key to our efforts. And overall, Europe has not been successful over the years in achieving the returns of those not entitled to protection. Now, when it comes to the way forward, I think the dialogue should be structured around three pillars. First, a strategic partnership with non-EU countries. This means working with the countries of origin and the countries of transit, establishing mutual beneficial relationship to prevent the root causes of migration and work together with these countries for returns, those not entitled to protection. A second very important pillar is bringing down the business model of human smugglers. As I said before, we cannot leave it to smugglers to select who comes and who does not come to Europe. And the third pillar is enhancing the legal pathways of migration. It is important that Europe protects its common European borders in line with international law and European legislation, and we do so, and we need to recognize the critical role of Frontex the European border and Coast Guard agency. It is critical that they continue to perform perform the duties in line with European regulation to prevent unlawful entries into the European Union. But also Greece proposes the engagement of Frontex outside the territorial waters of the European Union, saving lives at sea and protecting unlawful departures from countries on transit. And I think Europe needs to work with these countries in establishing this kind of relationship. I think on the European side, we need to use all our leverage and further discuss with our partner countries on positive or negative measures in several policy areas, including, but not limited to trade, development, economic aid, depending on the level of cooperation with the European Union on migration. And that has been a key theme with the current Portuguese presidency. And finally, we need to give more opportunities for legal labor migration to potential migrants in line with the skills we need in a labor market with rules, with with fair policies to make sure that Europe does continuously benefit from more people coming into Europe. Migration remains a very complicated issue, a very divisive issue, along the political aisle. And I think it's going it's to be an issue that we will we'll keep on discussing for a long time, given especially the current progress made in the new pact. Thank you, Kevin.
0: Thank you, Natis, very much indeed. Uh, that's a very useful uh, way of starting the discussion. Let me pass to uh, Maria uh, for her um, comments and reply.
2: Thank you so much, Kevin, and thanks so much uh, to the Helleric Observatory for for your invitation uh, to join the discussion and ask questions to the minister, really, because this is is my function here today. Uh, Minister, I was very pleased to hear that uh, you were talking about your uh, expectations uh, about uh, the pact on migration and asylum, because as you very correctly posed, as uh, uh, commented, uh, uh, asylum, the whole process of migratory flows in, uh, towards Europe is actually a European prog- problem and not uh, a Greek problem. And actually, it should not be a problem. It is part of uh, the, cycl- the cyclical nature of uh, the human experience. It's part of the human condition. Uh, and as such, we need to make sure that it is not a tragedy, It is not a catastrophe, it's part of life. And if uh, a person migrates, it can migrate back. It is not a one off kind of suggestion. And once we realize these fundamental issues, then we can start moving towards regulating reality in a way that is not so strictly uh, blocked, if you like, by uh, ideologies. Having said that, however, it is very, very clear that we're not there as yet. I heard uh, you commenting on the fact that you are looking towards mutual recognition uh, during the negotiations of the pact in in an effort to set aside uh, secondary movements. Uh, Where are you? Are you sure that everybody else is also on, on the same page? Because I do have concerns about that. Um, you suggested a strategic uh, partnership with third parties. I hope you are not talking about outsourcing, because that is clearly against the Geneva Convention in terms uh, and, and in the international law that I know and teach. Um, uh, we're talking. Of, you, you were talking correctly about uh, human smugglers, but that really requires uh, legal pathways to migration. And in the European Union, as we speak, uh, we literally do not have legal pathways to migration. It is a disgrace. I am very, very unafraid to use uh, strong words in that respect. The idea of having a blue card that does not function is really a disgrace for Europe. Uh, you referred to this type of legal migration with rules. Minister, there are no rules on legal migration in Europe, and there are no rules on legal migration in Greece either. May I remind you of the Chaudhry case, Manolada, where we have migrants picking up strawberries and being shot at because they want they demand their wages. So we have a long way to go. These, to a certain extent, are the good news. Uh, The good news because we share the same starting point and we look forward to some developments in that particular situation. You have commented on Article 31, the obligation of non-refoulement on uh, uh, the Geneva Convention. Yes, but the non-refoulement includes much more than actually a direct migration. It includes the possibility of persecution anywhere, wherever you are. So this is a much more important obligation upon uh, the country that finds itself in a position to admit uh, applicants, asylum seekers. And that obligation really has several manifestations. I would touch only upon one or two of those. An obligation not to be detained, not to be punished in any shape or form. And yet, in recent times, we have applicants for international protection that may be detained for a maximum of 18 months in the context of an asylum procedure, with the possibility of prolongation for another 18 months in the context of the return procedure. In other words, we have rejected asylum seekers held in pre-removal centres for more than 12 months without any prospect of return. What are we doing exactly? And in your recent uh, law in uh, 2020, you have actually reversed the rule of exceptional application of detention measures, uh, which was supposed to be just the last resort, according to established EU law and the international standards. Why are we doing that, Minister? Why are we keeping people in detention that we cannot send back anyway? Especially in times of the pandemic where there are strong recommendations by the Council of Europe and other international organs on the use of the alternative to detention measures. And I would not even refer uh, to the report Uh, prepared and published by the Greek National Commission on Human Rights on the status of asylum uh, procedures in the country that has really referred to administrative retention time and again. So I believe, and of course, a number of, of UN organs has commented on that. The UN Committee Against Torture, the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention that has visited Greece, In late 2019, the Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Why are the CPT that came over from the Council of Europe just to see what is going on in the borders? Why are we doing that to the country minister? There's no reason to. I cannot see any reason to. And um, as you see, I'm quite functional in my approach. I do not even refer... Uh, to human rights protection or or, or things like that. I'm talking very cynically about uh, the, 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 the balance of interests at the end of the day. Another point, safe countries. We have a recent decision designating Turkey as a safe third country for third country nationals with a refugee profile such as Syrians, Afghanis and Somalis. This procedure is also enforceable to applications, to pending applications for asylum. And may I remind you that almost 80% of those came from the designated countries, Syria, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Somalia. Uh, and may I also remind you that that decision was made without the opinion of the committee uh, I'm supposed to participate in, we know Minister, that, you cannot return these people to Turkey. We all know that. So what is it that we're doing right now? We're playing politics with the lives of people? Are we dehumanizing migration in the same way that we have protested when others tried to do so in March last year? Why are we taking the blame? for decision that at the end of the day is not up to us. The number of trapped people in the Aegean Islands will inevitably rise as they wait for deportation. The maximum detention time will lapse and these people would have to be released. So they're going to be around the country, people without papers. We are creating a system with inputs, but no outputs. Is that sustainable? Is that something that we would be happy to deal with? And let me add a footnote to that. Uh, It was announced that minors were not supposed to be included in the returnees. And yet I have it on very good authority as of last night that there is no age assessment currently conducted in the islands. What's going on here? The obvious kids. 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, it's fine. What is going to happen with the 15 year olds? And you know that some of those 15 year olds are much more mature than you and I combined because they have gone through so much in their life. What are we doing out there? Two final points. In spite of public statements, there is a steady flow of information regarding pushbacks and forceful removements. Why is that? The Greek National Commission for Human Rights has conducted uh, a meeting, has invited all uh, interested parties to come and talk to us in confidence, And they all came from the Coast Guard to the NGOs and everybody. And there seems to be some kind of a methodology developing out there. What are we doing about that? The Greek National Commission is about to launch an initiative uh, recording verifiable incidents and, and letting the appropriate authorities, including FRA, know about these incidents. We're not included, we're not involved in the handling of that, but we just record the incidents, we're going to be reporting the incidents. But surely there must be some kind of reaction apart from a blank refusal or saying that we have no policy along those lines, isn't it? Final point and I stop there, integration. I have a feeling that integration was put on hold before it even started. The pandemic helped in that respect. Um, We have seen your colleagues in other countries sending letters to you, protesting uh, about secondary movements, uh, suggesting that somehow there is a, a systemic lack of integration that is being used as a tool to push people away from Greece. What are we doing in terms of integration? We have worked with the UNHCR, in setting up certain principles of integration, which we're going to uh, publicize uh, next week, hopefully. Um, But we understand that we're still thinking about these issues. Can you help me with that? Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Maria, very much indeed. Um, There's a number of... um, uh, really very important points uh, put to the Minister. So could I ask uh, the Minister to respond to those points before we uh, move on? I'm sure others will wish to pick up and elaborate further perhaps, but um, there are a number of points which I've noted from Maria. So this is the opportunity to respond to them, please.
1: Thank you, Professor Gavonelli for your uh, intervention. You have raised so many questions. I could probably start all over again and uh, redo the lecture by trying to respond to, to some of the points raised. I will, to, to I will try to respond to all. If I miss one, uh, it will not well, be on back. purpose. Please come back. Yeah, exactly. Now, let's start from the very beginning. Is migration a problem? As such, it's not a problem. Legal migration has is, is never been a problem. And most of us have been migrants in our lifetime. I've migrated to a number of European countries. My wife, the same. My parents, the same. Migration is very normal. And I have relatives in many parts of the world. What it is a problem is when smugglers make money, selecting people, picking them up from Afghanistan, taking them to a transient country, putting them on an unseaworthy dinky, risking their lives in exchange for a few thousand euros or dollars that the smuggler made. And these people come to Europe because the smugglers decided to do so. This, for me, is a huge problem, and we need to eradicate smuggling networks because that has nothing to do with refugee protection. It's a business, and it's a big business. Now, you asked me about the debate in Europe about secondary flows. The fact of the matter is that the willingness of countries to take tangible steps towards effective and meaningful solidarity is limited. We know that. And if we were not, if we left it to chance then what would happen is that the border countries will become the buffer zones, as it happened in the Greek islands from 2015 to 2020. And my role as a member of the Greek government is to ensure that my country does not have disproportionate pressure on a common European challenge. And this is what drives us in all the debates in the Council of the European Union. Working with other countries, I did not refer to outsourcing. I referred to cooperation like the EU-Turkey Joint Statement, which was an organized attempt of the European Council to work with Turkey in sharing a burden that Turkey as well faces because of migration. And I've said many times it is very important that both the EU and Turkey both implement the measures and the obligation they have each undertaken under the Joint Statement. And legal migration, I agree with you, we need to do more. I obviously said that at the very beginning. The blue card, it's very early to say it's not going to work because it's just now being put into the statute book. It hasn't been used yet. We recently, in Greece, signed around 15,000 work permits for people to come and work in the summer, agricultural workers, through a new platform that connects the application for somebody to come to Greece with his social security file, his tax file, to make sure he's paid properly. So we're not only implementing a legal pathway for seasonal workers, we're ensuring that these people come in, are properly paid, properly treated. And that's very important as an European Union country. Now, you said that we have recently uh, declared Turkey a safe country. And we think Turkey is a safe country for people coming from Syria, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Somalia. Already Europe said that t- Syria is safe for the Syrians. So that the concept that Turkey is a safe country has been established by the European Council in 2016. We're, stop, we're expanding this now. And I obviously, honestly think that there is no risk in Turkey from somebody coming from these countries. And ca- Turkey It is a properly functioning country. And there is a joint statement that regulates how these people will return. And Turkey was accepting returns until February 2020. True, because of the pandemic, they stopped. We recognize that. As you know, the official position of the European Commission is that the statement is fully alive. And this is not the view of the Greek government. It's the view of the European Commission, we, we, which we agree. And we're working with Turkey to make sure that uh, returns start again. Now, talking about detention, detention is only used when applicable under European law. And a very, very small percentage of people in the asylum and refugee community, less than one, 1.5% one, one is being detained at any given time. So detention is the huge exception and is not the norm. But where I would disagree with you, it is a very strong view that people that are not entitled to international protection must be returned. And this is very critical for the uh, Geneva Convention to remain strong. Geneva was written about refugees. It was not uh, written as a legal text to allow thousands and thousands or millions of irregular economic migrants to move around the world. When... We would like these people to move around and we should allow people to move around. They should do that in an organized way. Now, two final points. One is about the borders. We are very frank about it. We are protecting our borders. It is our constitutional responsibility. We're a sovereign state. And as recently said by the Court of Human Rights, countries have the obligation and the right to protect their borders. And European regulations also provide especially under the Schengen Acquis or the 656 of 2014, specifically say that you must protect your borders from irregular entries. And that's what we do. And we do it as the regulation provides, as it was confirmed by the working group that Frontex established to check on, these, on the claims. And then there was a further stick with hundreds of alleged cases and all of them in the end, they got examined and there was nothing behind. Now, I need to admit one thing and we're guilty of, of taking hundreds of millions out of the pockets of smugglers. We have destroyed a business model. This big business is very unhappy. And these, in many faces, are complaining. Why we're, we're killing their business? Why we're not letting their clients come irregular to the European Union? And they say so through different facades. And that's, I'm very clear about it. There is a lot of facades for this big multi-hundred million business, which is called people smuggling. And we need to all work together to eradicate the phenomenon of smugglers making money out of poor people. My final point, the point of secondary movements and integration. Indeed, we got a letter from some EU ministers. First of all, complaining why we give travel documents to recognize refugees. As you know, this is a direct responsibility arising from the Geneva Convention. And it is European key. We're obliged to provide residence permit and travel documents to all recognized refugees. It would be a breach of our obligation if, if we didn't. Now, what drives secondary flows, it's a big question. And if you have seen my response to the letter received by my colleagues, my key argument is imbalances in social welfare states. Some countries are complaining that Greece doesn't have free housing to give to refugees. I reminded my esteemed colleagues that Greece abolished social housing as part of the memorandum. You know, Kevin remembers all the discussions in 2010, 2011, 2012, when the same countries asked us to slash our social spending. And now the Greek minimum guaranteed income is a fraction of what it is in these countries. We don't have free social housing. But this is not lack of an integration program. We provide for refugees, A, full access to what we call the social welfare state, so they get the same we would get in similar circumstances. And B, we run what we call a state-of-the-art program, the E-HELIOS program, run by the International Organization of Migration, funded by the European Commission. And by the way, all this emergency funding expires this year, as you know. There's going to be so much lack of funding in the next years that most of the services you know today will no longer exist. And Greece officially said that to the European uh, Council, that we're very concerned about many programs we run today. So the future doesn't seem we'll, we'll be able financially to do more programs than the ones we're doing today. But we do have an integration program. But when some countries provide social welfare, which is a multiple of the salary somebody would get if he worked in a field in Greece. Why would a rational economic actor stay in Greece and make, let's say, 700 euros working in a farm where in other European countries can make two or 3,000 euros a month by not working? And this was my response to my colleagues. Greece does provide the program. We provide no discrimination, equal access, and I think that's what we're supposed to do and that's the best we can do. I'm sure I missed one or two questions, but I'm sure you're going to come back.
0: Okay, Before I ask Maria to to respond further, um, let me, if I may, pick up uh, on a couple of uh, points. On the question of the um, secondary movement, uh, my understanding of the letter from your six uh, partner governments uh, was to question why you're allowing people who've already been granted asylum status uh, in Greece to then move to another country and uh, um, request additional uh, asylum uh, status. I suppose the question, as I understand it, they're asking is what's going wrong with the process if there are 17,000 uh, migrants going to uh, Germany this uh, so far this year uh, who have already been given asylum uh, status. So why are they going? Could you just give a, a quick Answer on that: What's wrong with the process in Greece if 17,000 are moving to Germany?
1: First of all, Kevin, people that are given asylum are are granted travel documents and um, Schengen visas. They can freely move and travel around the European Schengen area. This is part of Schengen key. So it is the obligation of Greece to let them travel. It's the obligation of other countries to accept them when they land or drive through the borders. This is what we call the Schengen area. If you're a legal resident for any purpose within a second country, you can travel freely in any other second country. Why people want to apply again for asylum? Because they think they will get a better social package if they have a German asylum versus a Greek asylum. The okay. Greek asylum will give them the Greek benefits. The German asylum will give them the multiple German benefits, which are far more attractive.
0: Okay. Can I return to the question of uh, Turkey? Because this obviously has received a lot of uh, international uh, attention. Um, There's a reference to the EU directive, which I understand is the procedures uh, directive uh, in English. And um, for example, Human Rights Watch, the NGO, uh, claimed that the refugees being returned to Turkey would not be allowed to request refugee status there because Turkey excludes non-Europeans from uh, qualifying for refugee uh, status. The second point, the EU directive says that Greece should, could return refugees to Turkey if it believed there was sufficient protection in Turkey. But the UNHCR says this condition of sufficient protection is not good enough, it doesn't satisfy EU, uh, sorry, UN uh, principles, and Turkey has closed its borders to thousands of Syrian refugees who were fleeing from the bombing in the northern city of Aleppo, and this, on the part of Turkey, is a contradiction of what the European Union uh, directive uh, provides for. So. How acceptable is it to say that Turkey is, quote, a functioning uh, country, uh, Turkey is, quote, a safe country for refugees, if they're being returned and they can't claim refugee
1: status in Turkey? Turkey has been recognized as a safe country by the EU collectively in 2016. And this is the basis of the European view on Turkey. And Turkey is party to a number of international treaties which protect human rights, including the Geneva Convention. And they have a number of bilateral agreements that have supported the Turkish position on refugees. And Turkey is hosting today 4 million people, and they're doing so in an effective way. So when
0: the the UNHCR then says that the condition of sufficient protection... Is not good enough. Are you saying the EU should simply diverge from what the UNHCR suggests?
1: UNHCR has complained also sometimes about uh, reception facilities in Greece, but we haven't sent everybody away from Greece and actually we're doing pretty well. Nowadays we have gone through difficult times. Different international organizations have different views sometimes when it comes to migration. And By the way, they have different starting points UNHCR their objective is the protection of refugees alone. Governments have to balance what Geneva Convention says which is the distinguishment um, between those entitled to international protection and those that are not entitled to international protection. We cannot put everyone on the same bucket and if somebody is a refugee from these five countries, he's not coming directly to the u s according to article thirty one of the Geneva Convention, but also the European directives provide the concept allowing the national legislator to select those countries and under specific conditions, and that's why we have, do not have a blank safe country for Turkey. We have a specific list where our analysis, our research, our legal analysis of all the fundamental conditions in Turkey for these specific nationalities makes us believe that these people are safe there. And we haven't seen any evidence to the contrary that people from these five countries have been subject to torture or any other inhumane treatment in a structured and organized way in Turkey. On the contrary, we have zero evidence of anything of that ever happening with regard to the specific nationalities. This is what we call the evidence-based approach.
0: Okay. Many people watching uh, either now, or uh, listening to the podcast uh, later, uh, will um, be located in many different countries. They will have read the international uh, media, and the point I'm coming to is the issue which has appeared in the international press quite often about pushbacks, and Maria mentioned this as well. Organisations like the New York Times, The Guardian newspaper in the UK, the BBC, many NGOs have said that Greek authorities, uh, sometimes in collaboration with local vigilantes, are engaging in illegal pushbacks. First of all, then, could you, uh, Minister, perhaps explain to the international audience what you believe is a legal pushback and what is an illegal pushback? And would you, for example, say to your voters in HIOS or any of the Aegean islands not uh, that the government does not approve of um, refugees who have been filmed having arrived on Greek territory, having stayed on Greek territory for uh, one or two days, suddenly being pushed back by local vigilantes? There's a bundle of questions there, Minister. I'm, asking, I'm inviting you to speak to the international audience and uh, explain uh, what is legal about a pushback and whether you would condemn um, local people on the Aegean islands engaged in the forcible return of refugees uh, from uh, Greek territory.
1: Kevin, two things. First of all, you will have me repeat what I said to Maria, because... Clearly, within a few minutes, there's nothing more to add. Or when I already responded to the topic, what I will react very strongly though. It's and I haven't heard that for. This is the concept of local vigilantes. You you took me by surprise. Uh, there's absolutely no local vigilantes involved in uh, in migration. Actually. It is true that the people in the islands have gone under a lot of pressure. There have been demonstrations against the new camps because the islands think they have a disproportional uh, burden in their shoulders because of migration. But in no way whatsoever, in a European Union country, you would accept that there is any organized form of what you would call local vigilantes. And if there ever were any, they will face very strong consequences going to jail. I mean this is absolutely out of the out of the question. In no way whatsoever, any people getting organized around migration using force in any way, the the Greek legislation is extremely tough. And also there is the anti racist law that will come on top of the normal criminal charges for such people and create a very, very strong case for the government. Uh, so there's absolutely no no window, to, I'm not letting any window on the discussion about local vigilantes. With regard to protection at the borders, I mean, Frontex has many times said, and the, I will refer you to Frontex, what they do and what they don't do, and what the legislation pertains to the border protection is there, is printed, it is approved by the European Council and the European Parliament that sets the rule of engagement.
0: But the European Parliament just a couple of months ago, I think, uh, Minister, refused to sign off on the report of Frontex uh, because of allegations of officials from Frontex itself Mm -hmm. being in cahoots with locals uh, violating the rights of migrants under international law. The European Parliament passed a motion saying that it was concerned that Mm -hmm. Frontex officials appear to believe that they can act with impunity Mm -hmm. at Europe's borders. Mm And the European Court of Auditors this month has said Fr- Frontex is not fulfilling its duties effectively. So, OK, let's uh, put Greece to one side. But from a European perspective, if someone is watching this in uh, this podcast in France, hmm? why should they trust Frontex to be upholding European values at the borders?
1: First of all, we need to recall what Frontex is. Frontex is an armed security force of the European Union and its objectives, its key objective is to protect the European borders in line with European legislation. It is important because sometimes Frontex has been dragged into also the political debates about migration, which are very strong. I mean, no one disagrees that people from the left may have a completely different view from people like me when it comes to migration. That's very clear. I said at the conclusion of my intervention, that is a very strongly uh, political heated debate when it comes to migration. What I can tell you is what we've seen up to now. There was an independent monitoring uh, committee established by the member states of Frontex with the participation of the Commission, and they published a report that all the incidents investigated, there was no breach of European fundamental rights. This is an official report that came up, not from the Frontex people, by the monitoring member states and the Commission that were asked to investigate. Now, there is another committee sent up by the European Parliament, which is the Frontex Scrutiny Committee, and we need to wait and hear what they would say is the outcome. But I come back to what I said at the beginning, and I'm not hiding behind my finger. It is clear that irregular migration, schengen key European legislation, Europe has borders. If there are countries that they think we should not have borders, then they should abolish passport and visa control in their airports, and millions of people should be allowed to travel freely. If some countries believe that is what should happen, they're, they're, they're welcome to do so. It is okay. our view as Greece that we will implement a strict but fair migration policy, provide refugee to those entitled to it, but not to those not entitled to it. And we would like to return those not entitled to it in accordance with the European law, in a, in a fair and dignified way.
0: Okay, let me um, bring Maria in. Just two minutes, if I may, Maria, and then... I want to move on because I can see that there are many questions from the audience. So, Maria, over to you.
2: But, Minister, uh, putting together the protection of the border with pushbacks, I think it's not a good policy. Uh, One thing that we're proud of in this country is the fact that we're always, always on the side of international law, and we always take care of our international obligations. And the reason... We are actually swearing by the the, the Geneva Convention is simply because we, beyond the protection of the borders, we do take care of our international obligations. We do not push back people, Minister. We protect our borders within the parameters of international law and the European law. And this is what the European Union should be also doing, and you know better than I, that uh, there's a difference between the practice and what the law says. Nobody suggests mm-hmm. that, law, that Greece has a published policy of pushbacks. No, nobody said that. Nobody suggested that uh, people are not returned, but returned, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. not pushed back. There's a, there's a difference here. And my final comment, uh, Kevin, and I would I would stop there and, and uh, turn to uh, uh, the people uh, viewing and auditing this. You ha- seem to have based your whole understanding of the future, the whole policy making um, scheme on returns, returns that are not happening for the time being. You are entirely right in requesting more returns, but they do not happen as we speak. Turkey is not taking people back. We, you, you suggested that we work with Turkey to do so. Well, okay, but in the meantime, and Minister, you gave numbers in the beginning, uh, and indeed the flow has stopped during the uh, pandemic and has been significantly reduced so far. But next winter, it might rise again. next year it might rise again what is going to happen to these centers that you are now creating are we going to have closed control centers how are we going to occur that there would be no more more morias? we don't really want to see that ever again minister and uh, what i'm asking for actually is realism a plea for realism and i understand i know Uh, that you are a realist and you would appreciate that kind of approach. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Minister, do you want to just very briefly respond or should we move on to the audience questions?
1: Two points. First of all, it's interesting what is international law. I mean, the recent judgment of the European Court on Human Rights came to the surprise of most people from the left that came against what everybody said it was international law and came and said that in the case of Spain, pushing back people to Morocco was completely legal, which is not what we're doing in the agency. But it came to the surprise to many humanitarian people that thought that countries should not have borders and people should just freely come in, which is not the case. It's not upheld in international law. So there's a big debate on what international law says and doesn't say. If you look at Article 31, Article 33 of Geneva Convention, it makes a very interesting reading if you read it for the first time, not being biased. Yes but, 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 but I'm what I'm not other reading people, it for the first time. but what other people told you. Now in the case of the camps in the islands, uh, you know why Moria happened? Because we had more flaws than what we can handle. And we have a capacity And we cannot be expected to have unlimited capacity we were expected to keep people in the islands until they complete their asylum process that's what the eu turkey joint statement told us and we had to go to individual decision making and all these three factors together led to the creation of moria i mean if people think that we can have a million places ready at any given time at each and every island this is not the greece i want and this is not the greece can ever become I mean, we need to be supported by the entire European Union in handling a common challenge. We are not the buffer zone.
0: Okay, thank you. Let me bring in the questions from the audience, and if I may, and I'll invite either of you to uh, respond. Um, we have many questions, uh, so if you could please try to answer very briefly. Uh, First question is from one of your uh, compatriots. You'll know, I think, from the Greek press, Michael Moskos. Uh, I read directly. Minister, many islanders feel strongly that your ministerial position comes into direct conflict with their local interests and traditional ways of life. The EU policies on migration, conflict, and oppose age-old societal norms such as Philoxenia, um hospitality. How do you personally feel about this? And particularly, how do you feel about being unable to affect returns of illegal immigrants, either to Turkey or to their countries of origin? How can an sub-Saharan economic migrant reasonably seek asylum in Lesvos or Hios? How can Brussels condone this immigrant politics through Turkey without confronting Niger, Burkina Faso, Congo, or any other African nation. And since such immigrants are illegally smuggled, sometimes against their will, how can they claim illegal rights? Uh, how can they claim legal rights in the European Union? That's quite a cocktail, uh, but I think you would get the gist, uh, which is uh, saying that uh, many of your constituents, this uh, Michael Moscos claims, feel strongly that your ministerial position comes into direct conflict with the local interests of those on the islands. I suspect you've been asked this question before. Would you like to give a, 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 a brief answer, please?
1: Michael said the opposite of what Maria said. He says why do we accept application from these people? Maria said we should not accept application from these people. I mean, it is a very hot, hot debate. People in the islands agree that we have taken too much of the burden. And I think it's clear in our policies, the fact that the, the flows are down by 90%. If you look at the last 12 months, the fact that the camp in HIOS has now 500 people versus 6,000 people it had a year ago, it's obvious that the situation in the islands is not the same. Maybe Michael has been away from here for too long. If he goes back for the summer, he will see that it's a completely different picture in the island. But as I said, it's a very tough question. On the one hand, people are complaining why we protect the borders. On the other hand, they're complaining why they arrive in the islands. Some people complain why they have secondary flows. Some people complain why we send them back to Turkey. Everybody has a view on migration, which is fair. But what we need to do is we need to uphold the law and have a key theme. The key theme for Greece is strict but fair. This is what we think we should do. We should implement the Geneva Convention and afford uh, Philoxenia, afford refugees to those entitled to it but eradicate smuggling networks and not, allow, and not uh, facilitate applications from people that they shouldn't be applying to Greece in line with European law. And that's what we're doing. And I think after we've been in this ministry for 18 months, it's a completely different picture versus what it was in January 2020, when flows are, were very high, uh, the islands were overcrowded, the, the, the uh, backlog in asylum application was overwhelming. And the whole situation was in a very difficult uh, balance with 120 camps versus 37 today. So I think we've made a big difference and kept the balance.
0: Okay, I guess, um, Minister, from the questions, you'll uh, be reminded uh, that you are indeed in a hot seat. So uh, forgive me, but I'm just reading the questions that are coming. A question from Copenhagen, and I'm going to mispronounce this name, but Mads-Henrik Holgaard. Uh, I read directly. How is the Greek government working to respect and ensure the freedom of the press in covering and reporting on migration issues inside Greece? As, for example, the coverage of prosecution of asylum seekers and in the free access to the refugee and migration structure on the Aegean Islands.
1: First of all, we very regularly have press days at all the camps. You need to respect that the camps is the home for people so it's not an open area for everybody to walk in and just curiously look how people sleep in the tents we allow press to come in on an organized way for example, I recently did a, a tour in Mavrovuni. I took all the local journalists. I said, we'll walk together. You can walk anywhere you want. You can take any photo you want. Nothing is restricted. There are no restricted areas. Please, if you publish photos, don't show the faces of young children. Just blur them or something. So we don't, we protect identities, but you're open to go there. And the Greek courts are open to all the cases. What I think your, your friend from Copenhagen is referring to is because of uh, the pandemic, there was a trial in Chios recently, and the court in Chios is a small courtroom. So it couldn't accept hundreds of people standing to watch the trial. There was a, very, there was a limit to the people who could enter the room. And that was because of the pandemic. It has nothing to do with the overall uh, freedom of press. All trials in Greece today, for any purpose, have a restriction to the physical audience because of the pandemic. I think it's natural because of the days we're now going through. And that was the trial of six people that were convicted in the first degree for the fire that caused in uh, Moria, putting 10,000 people's life at risk. And thanks God, we were able to evacuate Moria without loss of life and without injuries in September 2020. 10,000 people were at risk because six people living in the camp, according to the court ruling, set fire on the camps to push the government to move them faster to Europe.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, A question which um, reminds us of obligations of all countries, apart from uh, just Greece. Uh, Mia Barlow, who is uh, representing Safe Passage International, a question to the Minister. Quote, now that the UK has left the European Union, the UK has been seeking bilateral agreements uh, with Greece and a deal with the European Union on migration. Has the Greek minister discussed the UK's participation in a relocation scheme for unaccompanied minors with the UK, similar to the um, scheme promoted by Lord Alf Dubbs that closed early last year?
1: We currently have no proposal on the table. Uh, we have a discussion, at, and the European Union in general has a discussion with the UK. As you understand, Brexit has left a lot of loose ends that will take years uh, to manage all. But coming back to the point of uh, transfer of unaccompanied miners and overall transfer out of Greece, a number I, I failed to mention is that you have more people in the last 12 months that left Greece versus arrivals. So it was either forced returns or voluntary returns or bilateral agreements with other countries for the transfer of people. Greece now, there are more people living in a legal way, Greece, and, and I'm not including the people that you would refer to secondary flows in the letters we got, so I'm not adding that numbers up as reported by other countries. We have more people living Greece than people coming to Greece.
0: Okay. question from Jamie Prentice, who is a journalist at the London Bureau of the National. Question. How interlinked are Greece's disputes with Turkey over migration and maritime boundaries? What's the link between uh, those two agendas for you, Minister?
1: We have kept uh, the migration agenda outside bilateral discussions. We have kept the... This is not an issue which affects Greece and Turkey alone. It is an issue that affects the European Union together. And there are many issues raised by Turkey, which are rightly raised by Turkey... So, I can, so to be fair, which need to be addressed by the European Union collectively. So the most appropriate forum to discuss the issues of migration is the discussions between the European Council, the European Commission, and Turkey.
0: Okay. A question perhaps uh, I would like to bring in both um, Maria and the, the Minister. Indeed, the question reads, to both panellists, The best way to disrupt smuggling networks is to provide safe routes for people fleeing conflicts and persecution to claim asylum. What legal pathways are there, or should the EU be developing, for those fleeing conflicts, and how is Greece involved in these legal pathways? Uh, Maria, do you want to take up that uh, question?
2: Yes, I would take that up, uh, if I may, as the beginning. Uh, clearly, I'm not negotiating. A minister does, uh, But it is equally clear to my mind that this is a European Union issue and not a Greek issue. So it has to be addressed collectively, and it should be part of the Pact on Asylum and Migration. The next thing that we need also to do is look slightly beyond Uh, the um, Geneva Convention. The Geneva Convention talks about borders, physical borders. It was created at a time when you would have people literally knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Well, the doors nowadays are not there, or when they are there, we end up picking people out of the sea in the islands. I am on the record suggesting that it's one thing to go... Uh, to an office and request asylum. It's another thing altogether to get out of a boat in the middle of the sea and to have the receiving state uh, making sure that you're alive and well and you have the clothing that you require and you have the food that you require, that you have the medical attention that you require. So why should we not create legal pathways through our embassies and consulates around the world? Why do we not do that? There have been cases brought before the European Court of Justice. There have been cases brought before the European Court of Human Rights suggesting this, and both courts turned them down. Why? Because on the present reading of the Geneva Convention, and the Geneva Convention is not going to change, that is not possible because it requires physical border. It is up to the European Union to expand the network of uh, legal migration pathways. And I would invite all governments in the union to do so. It would uh, eliminate the smugglers or reduce the smugglers. I'm quite with the minister in that respect. Uh, It would create a new type of migration for Europe. People with skills, people that we need in an aging continent. Um, And uh, it would allow us to better address the kind of challenges that we face today and that we might even face tomorrow. Um, A final word. Um, The Europeans, we have a very strong cultural and national identity. Uh, The possibilities of our identity being diluted somehow. It's not really that. We absorb things. We do not
0: get valued. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Uh, If the Minister permits me, can I move on to another question or do you want to... Just to touch on that, just extremely briefly, it's clear that we need to do more for legal pathways. A question that arises from the discussion about accepting application elsewhere, it's very simple. What is the capacity of Europe on migration? Is it 10,000 people a year? Is it 100,000 people a year? Is it 1 million a year? Is it 100 million a year? Is it 1 billion a year? Because if you open up a global application form, you might get 2 billion applications. Because actually, the standard of living today in Europe, our economic growth, social cohesion, and democratic values are attractive for hundreds of millions of people. Rightfully so, I would say. So the problem is, and the issue with legal migration, is how many can you absorb in a natural way? And if you get all the people with skills, which is what most people say in Europe, we need to remember one thing. What would be the impact on their home countries? If you take the smartest and hardest working people from countries struggling to achieve a level of growth, are we in the end ensuring that these countries never succeed? They return.
0: Thank you. Um, we go to the next question, Sotiris Gonis. Minister, I'm afraid you have not done anything to stop racist and far-right incidents popular amongst the ranks of Greek coastguards and the police as well against immigrants. Minister.
1: I heard uh, just an insult to the armed forces and the police, rather than a question. Uh, and,
0: uh... <laughs> well, the question is that um, Sotilius Gonis is saying that you haven't done anything to stop racist and far-right incidents, which he says are popular amongst the ranks of the Greek Coast Guard and the police uh, against
1: immigrants. I clearly don't think that's the case. On the contrary, I have to praise the Hellenic Coast Guard especially for the prevention of loss of life at sea. They have done an amazing job in the last 18 months, having almost zero casualties in the Aegean, protecting very actively human life. So I think the Greek Coast Guard and the Hellenic Police are doing a fantastic job in protecting the rights of everyone in the the country.
0: Thank you. Um, A question from Friedrich Mann. From Germany. My question is, given the urgent need for an update of, I'm sorry, let me read this again. Studying the subject of refugees in Turkey myself, I agree with the minister that although Syrians in Turkey do not receive official refugee status, in practice their temporary protection status does give them very similar rights as they would receive, for example, in Germany. My question is, Given the, given the urgent need for an update of the statement and the many frictions between Greece and Turkey at the moment, how can Greece and Turkey reach agreement on a new proposal for a statement uh, to be presented to the European Union?
1: First of all, just to clarify to the audience that all protection is temporary. Asylum granted in Greece applies for three years. Then in three years you have to reapply And if circumstances have changed, either your personal circumstances or your country of origin, your asylum is revoked. And the subsidiary protection we give to many cases for one year only, and every year you have to prove again that the the fact of the matter is that you're still entitled to. So all protection is temporary until at some point you reach what we would call the qualification to be granted a permanent right to stay. But this is it's a separate case. So the protection in Turkey is temporary, the protection in Greece in that sense is temporary. Now, when it goes to the EU-Turkey joint statement, I think the priority is to make sure what we have agreed works. So I think both the EU makes, needs to make right to the obligation it has undertaken, the same does Turkey need to do. When that happens, I think it will be much easier for everyone to sit down on the drawing board and amend those points on the joint statement that could be improved. And there is, Everyone would have suggestions to offer on the table.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, I wonder if I could widen the uh, discussion um, myself, and that is that uh, when we think of Europe confronting this particular crisis, what do we read of? We, we read of uh, walls being built, fences being built, uh, Frontex accused of violating rights, uh, a hostile environment, uh, etc. For the European Union as a whole, then we've seen the rise of identity politics. Some say the rise of the far right, the rise of populist movements. Uh, people criticised the response in Hungary, uh, Viktor Orbán, uh, in particular. But not only in Hungary, uh, we've seen Matteo Salvini in Italy uh, complaining about um, migration uh, as well and becoming very popular for doing so. Marine Le Pen in France, uh, similarly. So, stepping back from the specifics of the migration uh, issue, Are you concerned that in five years' time, 10 years' time, or the future, history would look back at this period and say that Europe started to fragment, Europe started to lose its way, abandon its values on the migration question, and that new voters, young people, young people across Europe, when they're looking at Europe today, The migration crisis. Are these European policies policies which would make voters uh, more attracted to the European idea? Uh, Does it give Europeans a sense that we stand for values which are distinct in the world, values which we can morally defend uh, etc? I wonder uh, how you feel that the migration issue impacts on support for the European Union and indeed faith in the future of the European Union. Minister.
1: You left the best probably for last and uh, we have all been amazed how Europe was able to tackle crisis in the last 10-15 years. When we look at the economic crisis that in the Europe delivered, when we look at the pandemic Europe delivered, when we look on the migration, I believe Europe will deliver. And the whole debate on the new pact on asylum and migration is a clear, vivid demonstration that Europe has the willingness to find solutions to a common challenge. There is clear fragmentation. And there is fragmentation both between frontline states and central European states, that they feel temporarily more immune to primary flows, and there's also a division between the European center-right to the European center-left. So the, there's a clearly political, hot political uh, issue. And populist movements normally and extreme forces, and Europe unfortunately has a history in the last 100 years of extreme forces, they come when the mainstream politics fail to address an issue when we're too correct and we don't solve the problems, then we give rise to populism and to a number of people in the European political uh, scheme that have extreme views. I believe that Europe should be an open Europe, but an open Europe with rules. I, we should embrace migration. We should open up to migration. We need people. I mean, I signed this year 15,000 permits for people to come and work in Greece from countries from thou- Southeastern Europe, not members of the European Union. We need people, but we need to make sure they come in a legal way. And also we need rule of law. We need to be protected by sm- from smuggling networks because Geneva is not a tool for smugglers to make money and is being used by smugglers as a facade to make money. And that's why we need to work with these countries in the periphery of Europe and the countries behind them to make sure we address the root causes of migration and provide a safe haven to Europe to those that are entitled to it and not make the Geneva Convention lose its relevance to the eyes of the average person in Europe. Because when you ask the the average person in Europe, they don't believe that the majority of people coming irregularly in Europe are are refugees. Actually, they are not. The official statistics provide that the majority of arrivals are not refugees. And that creates a credibility challenge to these European values that need to remain in the core of our political thinking. So what Greece is doing by implementing our strategy is enhancing and protecting the core of the values of the European Acquis and the Geneva Convention.
0: Thank you, Maria. Do you want to respond on this point as
2: well? Thank you, yes. Populism in Europe has been and gone many times. And I think the fact that it has gone is also significant. May I remind you that uh, some years ago we had Golden Dawn in in Parliament. They're in jail nowadays. That's the triumph of the rule of law, isn't it? May I invite you to have a look at the recent results of the French elections? Hmm? There is an answer there as well. I would suggest, and actually I feel that perhaps the pandemic has helped in this uh, respect, because it has helped us all cool down a little bit, and it might actually facilitate the discussions about uh, uh, the Pact on Asylum and Migration, because it has cleared our thinking, it has, uh, it has brought the wider perspective into view. There's no question that uh, the European states would act together. To a certain extent, the European Union is Blamed for not being a state, uh, although they, several people insist that it should not become a state, and it is not a state nowadays. It's, it, it, it's a victim of its success, isn't it?
0: It is indeed.
2: And we expect things to happen in the European Union, and we forget that things happen if they, in the European Union if we so decide. There is nobody else who decides but us. The governments decides, the MEPs decide. Who are these people? We voted for them. They decide on our behalf. If we manage to put that into perspective, both in terms of political governance in Europe, but also in terms of migration governance, then I think that we would be better equipped to come up with a better result at the end of the day, without uh, putting the burden to people who are defenceless and in need of protection.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Um, I'm tempted um, notice if I may just ask one very quick last uh, question. If the Prime Minister was to re- uh, telephone you tomorrow and say, um, I'd like you to move to a, another ministerial job, how disappointed would you be?
1: It's um, a very tricky question. It's always a privilege to serve whatever they ask you to. Uh,
0: on the basis of that answer, I'm sure you, your career has uh, <laughs> a very, very bright uh, prospects in, indeed. We're coming to the end as you can uh, see, I think. Uh, let me uh, now, um, first of all, make an announcement before I give my uh, thanks. This Thursday, We will have a further Hellenic Observatory event. As part of the bicentenary celebrations for Greece's uh, War of Independence, uh, the UK has a program of celebrations in which the LSE is a participant, and you can find information on these UK events uh, on the website 21 in 21. It's very simple to, to, to search for it. 21 is the number in 21, 21 in 21. You can find uh, the programme of events across different universities in the UK. The next event in this programme takes place this Thursday, uh, UK time at 4pm, Greek time 6pm. And the title of the discussion is The Greek War of Independence, reappraising its economic legacies. And we have three speakers, Maria Christina Hazzuano, Director of the Institute for Historical Research of the National Hellenic Research Foundation, <clears throat> excuse me, Andreas Kakridis, Assistant Professor of Economic History at the Ionian University. And then Stathis Kalivas, Gladstone Professor of Governments at All Souls College, University of Oxford and chairing that discussion will be my colleague from the LSE, Joanne Roses, Professor of Economic History here at the school. So that's this Thursday, UK time, 4pm, and you can register for that on the LSE's Hellenic Observatory uh, webpages. But let's close uh, this session by me giving very warm uh, thanks to our two speakers, uh, to uh, Notis Mitarakis, the Minister for Migration and Asylum uh, in Greece, a long-term friend of the observatory, uh, very much in the hot seats, but we thank the Minister for answering so many uh, difficult questions. And we thank uh, Professor Maria Gavonelli for her uh, comments and uh, questions and for her clarification of the issues as well. So my thanks to both of our speakers. And uh, my thanks to those of you watching this uh, podcast and for the many questions that you have uh, sent. We look forward to seeing you at future events for the LSE uh, public events program and more especially uh, future events of the LSE's Hellenic observatory. you can see on the web pages now on your screens rather the the address for looking at our future events uh, program so my genuine thanks to both of our speakers, my warm regards, and we look forward to meeting you again uh, shortly. Thank you. Bye.